Hello, and welcome to the Fisher Investments Market Insights Podcast, where we discuss our firm's latest thinking on global capital markets and current events. My name is Naj Trinavas. I'm the Group Vice President of Client Communications here at the firm. One of the U.S. government's key responses to the economic fallout from the coronavirus has been an 880-page piece of legislation known as the CARES Act. The act, which was passed in late March, covers about $2 trillion worth of relief for individuals and small businesses. It contains a lot of adjustments, extensions, and other help for individuals and small businesses. And since the act was passed, we've been spending some time trying to understand the act and understand the implications for investors, small businesses, and individuals generally. And joining me for today's episode will be Haley Bill, the Vice President of Financial Planning here at Fisher Investments. And she's going to share some thoughts on the CARES Act and how it impacts individuals and small businesses. Please enjoy. Well, Haley, thanks so much for being with us here today. Thank you, Naj. Happy to be here. Happy to talk about this exciting tax impact of the CARES Act. For sure. And of course, CARES Act stands for the Coronavirus Aid, Relief and Economic Security Act. So let's talk about that a little bit. Why don't you give our listeners just a high level overview of what is in the CARES Act and what are some of the major provisions within it? Sure. Yeah, I'll talk about some main provisions within the CARES Act. I do want to start with the caveat that it is a very large bill. There are hundreds of pages of different implications relative to individuals as well as small businesses, but also government funding. And we'll talk mostly about those things that are most impactful to our client base, the individual investors and potentially small business owners. To start, I guess high level, we have a delay in the filing deadline for taxes. So the filing deadline has been delayed to July. There's also some implications related to retirement account withdrawals, both on the required minimum distribution side, but also eligibility for more withdrawals if you need to from your retirement accounts. Uh, Some impact for people who need some additional money from the government. There's the ability to get the rebates that a lot of media are talking about and some small business packages for lending and additional tax credits and leeways for small business owners. Okay, great. So let's let's unpack some of that and let's start out with the tax filing changes. You said that they are delaying the tax filing deadline from April 15th to July 15th. Let's talk about that a little bit more because I think there's some specific considerations people probably want to make with this. Is anything required for people to get the extended deadline to July 15th or is that just automatic? If you have not yet filed your taxes for the tax year of 2019, you have until July 15th to do so. There's no additional form you have to fill out or additional step you have to take to wait until July. Now, that's hopefully a positive for everybody. If you're sitting at home and don't know what else to do, you certainly can file your taxes now if you want. But there are some benefits to waiting. One of the biggest in waiting to file your taxes is that you also have until you file to contribute to your IRA and HSA. And if you are actually planning on filing in October with an extension, because that is an option for many filers to be able to extend the deadline from April 15th to October 15th, does anything have to be filed for those situations? 
The same deadline applies, so you still need to file your extension in time, but that April 15th deadline has not changed. Another thing to note is that if you are making quarterly payments, and so you would normally have a quarterly tax payment due in April, that is also extended to July 15th. So let's talk a little bit about the tax credit rebate payments that have been discussed widely in the news. I think people are calling it the the $1,200 checks in the mail. How does that work? What individuals can expect to actually receive those tax credit rebate payments? Where does that start to phase out? Sure. So you're right. That is one of the most talked about, quote, benefits of the CARES Act. We're hearing a lot of media and chatter about the, quote, stimulus checks. The official term for these payments is a recovery rebate, which is important to note because it's actually a prepaid credit on your 2020 taxes. So the IRS has a page on their website with frequently asked questions. The biggest question is, when am I going to get my check? And I believe the answer is still as soon as we can get it out to you, but don't hold your breath. But let's talk about how much you might be owed. So an individual can receive up to $1,200, while married couples filing jointly are eligible for up to $2,400. There's also an additional $500 for each child under age 17. There are income limits to those payments, so they do start ratcheting down at a certain adjusted gross income. And what is that adjusted gross income level where things start ratcheting down? In short, your payment will start being reduced above an adjusted gross income or AGI of $150,000 for a married couple filing jointly and $75,000 for an individual. They start reducing by 5% of the difference between your adjusted gross income and that $150,000 limit if you're a married couple filing jointly. So altogether, once a married couple hits $198,000 adjusted risk income, they no longer are eligible for one of those recovery rebates. Got it. That's very helpful. So let's switch gears now and talk about some of the retirement account changes that are in the CARES Act. And of course, one of the ones that many of our clients and listeners are probably wondering about or have questions about are the required minimum distribution or RMD changes. So what impact does the CARES Act have on required minimum distributions from IRAs or individual retirement accounts? Well, Naj, in short, RMDs are not required in 2020, but I'll take a step back and explain how that works. So an RMD or required minimum distribution is in general required once an individual hits 70 and a half. And that was as of last year, that actually has changed to 72 as a result of the SECURE Act that actually passed earlier this year. And what it is in short is you have to start drawing down your IRA assets and pay income taxes on those withdrawals starting at that age 70 and a half. So for anyone that did turn 70 and a half last year or earlier and normally would have to take a required minimum distribution this year does not have to do so. And so they don't have to take the RMD this year. Do they have to take two RMDs next year or is this just a full let's skip the RMD this year? Yeah, so this has often been 
communicated as a suspension, which makes people think they have to do it again or catch up in 2021 or beyond, but it's actually a true waiver. So you don't have to take it this year. You start back up as if 2020 didn't exist from an RMD standpoint. So you don't have to make it up. And you also potentially have the ability to put the RMD back in your account if you do so as a part of what's called an indirect rollover within 60 days of having taken that withdrawal. So if someone already took their 2020 required minimum distribution within 60 days and this CARES Act has passed now, they can actually roll that money back over into their IRA penalty-free. Yes. So this is an area where I'll be honest, the IRS has not been extremely clear about what to do for those RMDs you might have already taken for the year. So what I'll describe is how an indirect rollover generally works, which is the assumption for what applies here, though it might be expanded and we're waiting to see what the IRS says. And the reason I bring this up is that the last time RMDs were waived was in 2009, and they did extend that 60-day window quite a bit at that point. So right now, we're going to stick to the indirect rollover rules to stay safe until we hear otherwise from the IRS, which means you have one opportunity in a 12-month period to take that distribution and put it back in your IRA, gross of any taxes that were withheld. And as long as you do that in the 60-day window, there's no taxable income on that withdrawal. Now, what was some of the rationale behind the suspension of RMDs, at least from Congress's standpoint? I think it's worth taking a step back to understand how RMDs impact people. We know that quite a few people who hit that 70 and a half age limit are not looking forward to having to take those RMDs. It's income, but they might not need that income. And so they're paying taxes on money that they don't need, and they often end up just reinvesting. So from a perspective of our investors and probably where Congress was coming from is We don't want to put an additional tax burden on people when they're already worried about whether they can pay their taxes and when they should pay their taxes. So I can't get into the minds of Congress directly, but that's my, I guess, hypothesis for why this is impactful and and why they added it to the bill. So Haley, another popular question that we're hearing from clients and listeners right now is, Is now a good time or are there any advantages as a result of the CARES Act in order to convert a traditional IRA into a Roth IRA? So what's our view of that? Yeah, so a Roth conversion is when you take traditional IRA assets, you take a distribution, pay taxes on that distribution, and then convert it into a Roth IRA where it can then grow tax-free. The impact of the CARES Act, actually going back to our conversation about RMDs, is now you're no longer having to pay income on the RMD that you're no longer having to take. So you might have a new opportunity to take assets out of your IRA, pay taxes on those, and now put it into a Roth IRA that will grow tax-free. And then when you do need that income, you can draw it down without paying taxes because it's now coming out of a Roth IRA. So, Haley, you mentioned some of the small business lending programs as being part of the CARES Act. Can you give us some of the basics on those? Yes. So there are a handful of effect meant to benefit small business owners. I'll focus on two of the lending programs. The first is the Payroll Protection Program. 
And that's actually new as a result of the CARES Act. It allows small business owners with fewer than 500 employees, including sole proprietors and independent contractors, to apply for a short-term, two-year, federally protected loan at a 1% interest rate. The maximum borrowing amount is $10 million, or two and a half times your average monthly payroll costs, because the real goal here is to help small business owners with their payroll. And on top of that low interest rate of 1%, up to 100% of the loan can be forgiven if you've used at least 75% of the loan amount directly on payroll and related costs. So this is potentially an additional $10 million if you have a payroll of two and a half times the amount that equals that, they can be fully forgiven as long as you apply by June 30th. So that's a very attractive loan for a lot of small businesses to be able to keep things up and running and the lights on and, and payroll continuing to go out to employees. Yes, absolutely. And the benefit is that it's open for any small business owners. So I'd say the only limitation is being able to get your application in on time. So if we have any small business owners who are listening, our biggest suggestion is go ahead and try and get that application going. But on top of that, there is a second loan that small business owners can apply for, the emergency economic loan. That's actually an extension of a loan that has been available for uh, small business owners in depressed areas as a result of disasters. So, for instance, hurricanes or other natural disasters, this loan type has existed for those people, but now it's been extended for people who are impacted by COVID-19. And that loan is a little bit larger and a little bit longer. It's not as limited as the payroll protection program in terms of making sure you use that money on payroll. But there is a relatively simple application process. It is based on the credit score. And lastly, you can get a $10,000 grant or prepayment on your loan that you might not have to pay back. That's great, Haley. So where can people find out more information about these lending facilities? So there are a lot of resources actually on both of these lending programs, as well as all the other potential benefits to small business owners as a result of the CARES Act, actually on the U.S. Chamber of Commerce website or the Small Business Association website. For government websites, they actually have quite a bit of resources that are pretty easy to navigate. So that's where I would send anybody asking questions about how they can apply. Well, Haley, you know, one thing that's been very clear to me, we're recording this here on April 9th. But a lot of this is actually still evolving and regulators like the IRS are still determining how they're going to treat a lot of these situations. And of course, there are other developments that are happening too. the Fed today just announced that they would be launching their own Main Street lending program to supplement some of these other lending programs that you mentioned. So I think our listeners would really benefit from your expertise and knowledge on this area as time goes on. So if you wouldn't mind joining us again for another podcast, I think that'd be great. Absolutely. I would be happy to. I am also looking forward to seeing what comes next. Thanks so much, Haley. Thank you. Well, that was my interview with Haley Bill, the Vice President of Financial Planning at Fisher Investments, discussing the individual and small business impacts of the CARES Act. A couple other important things to mention before we end this episode. First, while the deadline to file your federal income taxes has been extended to July 15th, your deadline to file state taxes depends on where you live. So check your state deadline to make sure. 
Secondarily, tax strategy is a very personal, specialized process, so please reach out to your tax professional when considering how the CARES Act affects your specific tax situation. And if you like what you heard today, please subscribe to this podcast. You can also follow Fisher Investments on the major social media channels, LinkedIn, Twitter, or Facebook. And you can find our Fisher Investments channel on YouTube as well. For our latest capital markets insights, check out the Market Minder section of our website at fisherinvestments.com. We'll be back in May with our next regularly scheduled episode, An Investor Mailbag. We'll tackle a lot of common questions that we've been getting from investors and our listeners these days. Until then, I'm Naj Srinivas. Be well. Nothing herein constitutes legal, tax, or investment advice. Please seek the guidance of a CPA when making tax planning decisions. Investing in securities involves the risk of loss. Past performance is no guarantee of future returns. The content of this podcast represents the opinions and viewpoints of Fisher Investments and should not be regarded as personal investment advice. No assurances are made we will continue to hold these views, which may change at any time based on new information, analysis, or reconsideration. Copyright Fisher Investments, 2020.